coffee with God, well, of course, he brews. <laughs> hey, let's have a talk with God. Let's put this imaginary, real conversation with God into place. Let's get his words into our head. Let's get the story straight. Let's do a 40 together and hear what God has to say, this time about priests and a bunch of jerks. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to chapter 5, verse 10. Come on in. you join the biblical channel and what we do here is we simply go through the bible because we're absolutely convinced that the bible is the best thing we could wrap our heads around it makes us better people it gives us hope it gives us a, a, a wonderful worldview to hang our hat on and so the idea here is that christians ought to read the bible and be taught from the bible on a regular basis all of us that's me included and i've got a great passage here today because i had to really put on my thinking cap um, to get the right nuances and i had to put some of the tools that i know um, and have learned into place so that we can get it right. And that's the, the challenge that we have is we have text that's 2,000, you know, maybe 3,600 years old in places, and we want to get it right. So that's what we're doing. We're going to get it right. So as we, as we make our attempts to get it right, one of the things that we really want to pay attention to is that there is an author that has used literary devices in order to construct the passage. So we got to observe those. And when we do observe those, it does help us to get the passage correct. The other thing that we have to bring into play is history. Um, and history and liter the literary you know, structure of the text gives us the right context and now, now we're ready to take away the theology or the good vibe, you know, message that God has given us and to make sure that we don't get it out of context. So without any further ado, let me give you something to a little bit of homework if you wanted to play around. Um, you know, search up any, you know, the Bible's free online. Do a Google search from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 down to chapter 5, verse 10. So just copy and paste that into, you know, a document of your choosing, um, you know, a digital document rather. And and then I want you to to separate, um, you know, the the text into six six fragments or six sections. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 would be uh, 1, and then put a space in between and go down to verse 15 and 16, okay? Then skip another space, put another space between, and, and uh, you know, put the chunk of, of chapter 5, verse 1, the whole way down to chapter 5, verse 4, okay? Put another space in and put chapter 5, verse 5, you know, down to chapter five or six, another space after that. And then that, the next chunk would be chapter five, verse seven to nine, put a space after that. And the last little uh, uh, line will be verse 10. Okay. If you do that, you'll have six, you'll have the six um, 
structures to look at and think of as a chiasm. And a chiasm is when the author has structured the text to make a point at the top and the bottom that match each other. And then the next two points go along with each other. And then the next, the middle points go along with each other. You know you have a chiasm on your hand whenever you can read the top sentence and it just flows fluently with the bottom sentence and it doesn't even need any of it in the middle. Here's what I mean by that. Chapter 4, verse 14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. If we jump down to verse 510, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Totally flows, and, and that's how we can identify these chiasms. We can You kind of match up the, the content as being very similar. So here it's the high priest you know, word that clues us in that we have uh, an entry comment and an exit comment that are the same. And then if we strung the sentence together, the first sentence and the last sentence, it totally makes sense. And you can do that with the, uh, the sentences from verse 15 and 16 down to uh, chapter 5, verse 7 through 9. And you can do that with, um, you know, chapter 5, verse 1, the whole way down to chapter 5, verse 6. Okay, so that's your little homework assignment that I'm giving you. I already read a portion of the text, and we'll read um, each chunk of text as we go along. So I'm not going to do that right now. What I am going to do right now, though, is pray. Keep it simple, the way Jesus taught us how to pray. And it goes like this. Our Father in heaven, we hope that your name is honored above all names, for that's what it means to hallow your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My goodness, it would be great to see your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, because we need it. And forgive us our debts, what we need the most. As we have also forgiven, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Ooh. Are we forgiving people the way we should? Okay. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This prayer never gets old. I, you know, Jesus is brilliant. Doesn't surprise me, though, because I think Jesus is God, because that's what Jesus thinks of himself. We've covered that before. Let's dive into where we're heading here. Uh, now that we're all prayed up and we've um, got at least a little bit of reading in our text, the text that we're going to look at today has a lot to do with priests. Now, I think if you drop the word priest into our modern day context, man, it's got a lot of variability to it. In fact, I think the variability, you know, swings from super important to super weird. And since we live in the modern era, I think a lot of it is swayed towards the super weird. If you bring up priest in a conversation, oh, you know, I think it brings up a lot of strange connections. And uh, okay, so so we I think we need to talk about. Let me tell you what's on my mind when I come to the word priest. Okay, when I come to the word priest, the first thing that comes up in my mind is you know this kind of super high, unapproachable kind of figure that is some sort of go-between between God and people. And then, on the other hand, I don't see that as a huge value in today's culture. So I think what I see more often, though, 
um, especially because we live in a democratic society where the individual is, and the you know our own individual rights matter the most, and that's totally fine. I love that, but we get the impression that you know perhaps the word priest should be a super low thing, that the priest should be so approachable. But the problem with the priest being so approachable is is that the priest becomes almost worthless because there's no particular um, authority to go in between God and priest. And, and so I, th I think of that unapproachable high priest in our mind, right? That it's so far that, that this, this priest is so high up that we fail to really connect. Um, but on the other hand, we have this other idea of priest that's so low that it's almost worthless, you know, and, and too approachable. Um, I think that people see themselves more, more often than not, I think that people see themselves as high priests of themselves, you know, that they just assume the whole role themselves. They say, well, I'm my own priest <laughs> and I don't, well, I'll just leave it at that. That's what comes to my mind in the world that I live. And I think you'll make some connections there too. Um, I also think that when a, when the word priest is used, that there's something extremely natural about it because you are going to find throughout human history, priests in every corner of the globe, meaning, you know, it's not something exclusive by any means to Christianity. Um, it's not something exclusive to Israel. Um, you'll find priests, you know, in Asia, Africa, you know, and throughout all of history from known readable history from, you know, perhaps the Assyrians, you know, Persians and the, you know, the, the Chaldeans, you know, that kind of, you know, ancient old, you know, getting close to when dogs could speak kind of history. And that's an old um, Native American phrase that I picked up on that, you know, some things are so old that it's getting close to the times when dogs would speak. That's how, that's how Native Americans, some Native Americans like to portray really old stuff is, oh yeah, that comes from the time when dogs could speak. Anyhow, so priests, you know, and the idea of priests are as old as human beings seemingly itself from what we can gather. And there's something very natural about it. Um, it's also probably important to know that uh, God is not, you know, mad that um, we invent our own ideas as to what a priest is and have always done that. I don't think God's mad about that at all. In fact, I think it's just so natural to us that we can't help ourselves because I think as human beings, we are super aware of the chasm between us and God. And I've already told you, I do believe that everybody believes in God. Um, there are some people who, you know, really would like to be atheists and nihilists. But at the end of the day, I think in our heart of hearts, you know, we can suppress things like a beach ball under the water. You know, yeah, you can keep a beach ball under the water, but you got to really, you got to really hold it under. It really wants to come to the surface. And I think that I think that all human beings um, are really super aware of something about ourselves, that we're here on earth and that we're very small. And, and even though we're very small, we have these huge expectations or the huge wants. Uh, kind of reminds me of Billy Joe Shaver's song, I'm Gonna Live Forever. I love that song. It's one of my favorite songs. I'm gonna live forever. I'm gonna cross that river. I'm gonna catch tomorrow now. You're gonna want to hold me just like I always told you. You're gonna miss me when I'm gone. You fathers and you mothers, be good to one another. Please try to raise your ch children right. Don't let darkness take them. Don't make them feel forsaken. Just lead them safely to the light. 
when this old world is blown asunder, all of the stars fall from the sky. Remember, someone really loves you. We'll live forever, you and I. Okay, the you know, so chase down that song. Great song. You'll you'll be singing it in no time. But it reflects on these huge expectations that we really do have. We do we do expect to live forever. We so want it and we crave it. And so we need an answer between our smallness and this great expectation that we have to live forever. And oftentimes that priest is is there to fill that role. Um, and we kind of, you know, allow that role to be um, uh, uh, a sort of fiction to our own desires, but it's very natural to our own desires as well. Now, when it comes to Christianity and priests, I just want to get this out here. I, I have this thought, and I really do think that Christians, Christianity, you know, as a religion, made a huge mistake when it decided to start using the terms priests inside of the Christian community as, you know, someone designated in a in a, a uh, an official capacity. I think that was a huge mistake. Um, this was not the apostles' mess. The apostles stayed away from the word priest. None of the apostles that Jesus picked ever used the word priest of themselves. Um, the only time they would use the word priest is actually to refer to you and me as believers, and we'll pick up on that later on. So that's the stage that I want to set. Um, that's the stage of the word priest as I see it um, in the world today. We'll come back to some of these thoughts in, in a moment, but let's go headlong into the text um, that's going to talk about priests in a big kind of way. So it goes like this. And remember, we're having coffee with God. We're having a good, solid conversation. We're allowing our imaginative reality to shape up this possibility and reality that we are having a conversation with God. And he's quite happy to be here in this conversation. And he's talking very calmly. He's not mad at you. He's not mad at me. He's not mad at anybody. Um, because, you know, he does understand our ignorance and he's concerned about our ignorance and he wants to fill in some gaps for us and get us thinking in the right direction. So let's just chill out and let God have this conversation about priests. And here's how it starts. Um, chapter four, verse 14 of Hebrews simply says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. I think there's a simple point here. God's point of view, God's point of view is that we do need a priest. Yeah. So from God's point of view, he's not mad at the idea of priests at all. We need a priest. God picks up on this in the Bible from the front to the back of the Bible. We do need a priest. So there's nothing inherently wrong with the idea of priest. In fact, it's very natural to ourselves and we need one. God agrees. We need a priest and we don't just need a, a priest. We need a priest of the highest possible order. We need a priest that is as high as possible. And so I think simply speaking, a priest, uh, you know, what is high as possible would be God. God himself, right? That would be the highest possible place. And so the opening line here identifies the fact that Jesus Christ, you know, that, that guy from Nazareth, well, he is the highest priest possible 
And this is a really good thing that Jesus is the highest priest possible. This is a really good thing. And one of the basic natures of a priest is this confession, you know, this idea of confessing to a priest, talking to a priest, working things out with a priest. Okay. And so Jesus is that priest. And so the text says, let's hold to our confession to the highest possible priest, which is Jesus, the son of God. Okay, so remember, God in this coffee shop conversation is always talking about his closest family, and that is Jesus, uh, first and foremost, as God the Son, and potentially you. So, so this is the first point that is made. Jesus is of the highest possibilities when it comes to priests. Nobody can get over top of him. If anybody calls himself a priest, nobody can get up and above Jesus. He's actually passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So let's hold our confession to that, our confession, uh, you know, to this high priest. Okay, that's so good point. God's point of view, we definitely need a priest. We definitely need this priest. So next point in this conversation goes like this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Okay, now, the emphasis on Jesus being the highest possibility of a priest ever, 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 okay, is now cast in a whole different light that this highest possible priest ever actually comes down low where we are. The highest possible priest ever comes down low to where we are. Are. It's actually what makes him unbelievably awesome, super great as high priest that he's so far up there, you know, as we imagine priests could be, should be, but also as we imagine priests and hope priests to be so approachable and relatable to us as we are where we are down low, down here. Okay, so. The Bible is truly the best for this reason alone, because the Bible alone keeps presenting God in this highest possible place and able to come down right where we are. This up and down, you know, upstairs, downstairs nature to God. For those of you who follow Dalton Abbey, you know, the upstairs, downstairs um, uh, uh, picture of God is quite unbelievable. It's, it's quite surreal when we think about it. It's everything that we really want. We want that super high part of a priest. We want that super low part of a priest. Jesus Christ, Son of God, is just that. And so other things to take notice in here is that, you know, in coming low to us, Jesus the man as we know him, part of the whole role or reason of his manliness on earth 
was to be tempted as we are tempted in every possible way, in every respect as we are tempted, but one major difference without sin. You see, Jesus understands, God understands the temptations. God understands what we are tempted with on a regular basis, and he himself experiences those temptations when the Jesus man, you know, portion of the story becomes reality. It's all about relating to us so that we would have the confidence because we have confidence with people who have, you know, similar experiences. That's what it means to be human, a sapien like we are, that we really do relate to people with our shared experiences. Jesus has that shared experience, even though he does not succumb to sin. He does share the experience, and that should give us confidence to draw near to him as priest. But he's not just a priest. He's a priest who's sitting on a throne, right? So he's also king. So draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The whole point of Jesus being so high and coming down to our level is to indeed help us in our time of need. So Jesus is both. Jesus is cast. God is telling us that Jesus is high priest of the highest possibility. There's, there's absolutely no one who comes close to the highest possibility of his priestly you know, self. And there's no one who comes close to someone so high that comes down so low in such a relatable fashion. Okay, well, that's good stuff, too. That's really good. Isn't it? I mean, isn't that what we want? Sometimes we don't know what we want. Sometimes we, oh, I, don't, I don't want to get into the human drama, but we know that we're pretty confused on what we want. Sometimes we want one up way up high. Sometimes we want one way down low. And sometimes we pit the two between, you know, it gets ugly. We're humans. You know why? Because we are indeed a bunch of jerks. This is the reality for us needing a priest is that all of us are a bunch of jerks. At the end of the day, we're all in the same category. We need a really good priest to go between us and God, right? Okay, so the next part of the conversation uh, begins in chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Okay. Um, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Okay, let's stop and digest what's going on in this part of our conversation with God because God has shifted the subject matter to a completely earthly perspective of what a priest should be. Once again, God is not mad at us coming up with the idea of priest. Um, it's a good idea that we have, that we need a priest. Totally cool there. But what God is doing in the conversation is establishing what a proper job description 
of a priest actually is and one that we would readily agree to. And so the parts of the job description of priests that we need to hone in on is that from our perspective down here on earth, high priests, you know, on an earthly level are just chosen from among men and priests are, you know, appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, right? Um, and to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And the priest is supposed to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since the priest is beset with weakness himself or herself. Because of this, the priest is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So just stop and reflect on this. Uh, this is God. He's not angry. He's just saying, as the old song goes. He's just saying, this is what the priest should be. Now, you and I both know this. The word priest gets weird in a lot of ways. We don't have time to digest and to talk about all of the weird possibilities that priest has been used throughout human history and is currently being used in human, you know, current events, right? There is a certain strangeness uh, about priests. And God is just telling us very simply and plainly that if a priest on earth is worth their salt, then we should just understand that they're chosen from among men and that they themselves are men just like us. There's absolutely no difference in earthly priests, you know, to ourselves. They, they are part of us and they too are beset with the same weaknesses that we have. And so therefore they need a priest just like we need a priest, right? And then God also points out that because of this, because of this, the priest if it's a good priest, should deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Okay, so that, that is, is, you know, just a simple reflection. God just telling us that, hey, this is what a priest, you know, should be in our minds. We know, though, without a doubt, that the priests in this world fail that job description a lot. A lot of priests do not act like this. I don't know about you, but I've met quite a few priests, and some of them are really nice people. But I've also met priests that are pretty pompous and pretty arrogant. They're kind of pompous, pedantic pricks, if you know what I mean. And, 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 while they see themselves as someone of great importance, they oftentimes do not seem to see themselves as beset with weakness that needs a priest as well. Um, but this is God just having a simple conversation about what a priest should be in our minds and what we should expect out of a priest. And I think we can easily agree with it. I don't think there's anything really controversial in what God is saying there. The controversy starts to dig in, though, when the phrase, and no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God. I do think there's a little bit of a jab here. 
because called by God throws an interesting wrench into everybody and anybody who calls themselves a priest, right? On one hand, I think every priest would say, oh yeah, I'm called by God. You know, whether that priest is from Asia, Africa, North America, South America, or Europe, I don't care where they are on the planet. They would say, I'm called by God. But we all know that that's an easy thing to let loose across the lips. So it's easy to say, I'm called by God. But are you really? Do you have the proper paperwork? Do you really have the proper authority? Do you really have a calling that God himself has actually literally given you? And I would say that most priests fail the test. Again, I don't think God is angry in this, just throwing out some challenging ideas that a real priest should have a real valid calling, a real valid calling, some paperwork, so to speak, a paperwork that traces back some authority to the whole issue. And that's why the example of Aaron, Moses's brother, you know, going the whole way back to Aaron, Moses's brother was indeed literally called by God to be a priest. And then Aaron's descendants were the Levites in the history of Israel. And so they too were called by God. The descendants of Aaron, the tribe of Levi, were the only ones that God gave the paperwork to, to be priests in the story of Israel. So all of a sudden, I think the stakes have kind of gone up that, you know, while it's easy to say I've been called by God, it's not so easy to prove. But at least Aaron and the Levites could prove, you know, through the word of God that they were called to be such priests. Okay, easy to say, but how do we know um, is kind of the wrench that is thrown in here when God, in this conversation, makes it clear that no one should be taking this honor on themselves. God should be doing the picking as to who the priests will be. And so that brings us to, you know, Aaron and the Levites. You know, they do have marching orders, so to speak, of, of being real Israel's priests. Um, and we do need to remember that before Aaron was, was called to be priest, we do have to remember what God had told the whole count, the, you know, all of Israel that was gathered before Mount Sinai when they came out of Egypt, that God made it clear before Aaron was designated as priest, before Aaron's descendants were designated as the, the priests for Israel, God made it very clear that he had a goal, and that goal was that all of Israel— would be a nation of priests. And what does that mean? Well, it just means, go back to the definition, it means that God had this idea that all of his people would be chosen from among men to act on behalf of other men, you know, mankind, in relation to God, you know, and, and dealing gently with the ignorant and the wayward, 
recognize the, recognizing that they themselves are beset with weakness, weakness that has to be answered by God, you know, being that God go-between. So, so what God really has in mind is not something exclusive, but something extremely inclusive that really all believers by design, even in Exodus chapter 19, go read it for yourself. God's design here is that all of Israel would, would be his priests. Now, we know that that doesn't work out that way. Only Aaron and the Levites end up being priests. And let's flash forward to the apostle Peter, who was handpicked by Jesus. And we find out from Peter in, in his letter, 1 Peter, go read that. We find out from Peter that God actually still has the same idea and the same goal and the same game plan that every lover of God would be part of his priesthood. Yeah, not a few people, but everybody, everybody who is a lover of God would be part of God's priesthood. I want to hold that thought for just a second, but this is what this next section, you know, kind of brings up for us. And then the, there's a greater challenge concerning Aaron um, on the horizon. So let's move our text down. Chapter 5, uh, verse 5 and 6, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, now I know things just got really complicated here. So let's straighten this out. And this is easy to straighten out. So first of all, like Aaron and the Levites could literally say that they were chosen by God to be God's priests. Okay, so they, they really did have the proper paperwork. They had the Bible that indicated that they were indeed appointed to be the priestly function in Israel, okay? But we know that God has a bigger goal in mind, that all of Israel would be his priests and that all believers would be his priests, okay? So hold that thought. Jesus is now brought into the conversation. Christ, Christ did not pick this role for himself. He too was um, uh, picked by God um, with the proper paperwork. And so those two quotes that you see in verse five and six are two quotes for that come from two Psalms, Psalm two and Psalm 110. And what this means is that Jesus has the proper paperwork to be the one singular high priest who is the complete package of God just as God had promised. If you go back and read Psalm 2, you will read about God has a king in mind for the whole world, and that king is also a prophet because this, this quote, you are my son, today I've begotten you, is picked up by the, you know, by Matthew, Mark, Luke, you know, and John, that the heavenly voice says, this is my son. Today I've begotten you. Listen to him. So we all know that a prophet is someone to be listened to that God picks. And so here the 
king and prophet idea in Psalm 2 come together, that the king will be a prophet as well. Listen to him. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. Psalm 2 is all about the king and the prophet are one person that God is bringing to bear in this world. And then in verse 6, when we hear you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, that's Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110, the king that God is bringing to bear in this world is also going to be a priest. <laughs> Here's where it gets a little bit fun. Going to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not a priest out of the order of Aaron. Hold that thought for a second. The big point that's being made here is that Christ didn't exalt himself and make himself high priest. Instead, he was appointed by God and had the proper paperwork just, you know, like we would expect. Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 is Jesus, the complete package of God, all bound in together. And now this Melchizedek figure, this Melchizedek feature is genuinely a man of mystery. He's an interesting cat because we really only learn of him in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. And he seems to come from nowhere. And then by the time we get into the letter to the Hebrews, he's going to be everywhere. Melchizedek is going to be a major part of the conversation. So I want to, I don't want to say too much about Melchizedek because there's other passages coming up about Melchizedek, but there's one important point about Melchizedek that we all need to know and understand. If you go back to Genesis chapter 14, verse 18 and following, you'll read about Melchizedek and you'll read about what value Melchizedek has in the story. And the value that Melchizedek has in the story is that he is a king priest that comes from nowhere, literally nowhere. Well, well, he comes from Salem, which might be Jerusalem um, before Israel takes over Jerusalem. But this Melchizedek figure does something that we need to pay attention to. Melchizedek comes out of nowhere and blesses Abraham. He blesses Abraham and submits to Abraham because Abraham is the man with God's promise. And what is the promise that Abraham has except Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Oh, I'm sorry, 1 to 3. I will make of you, Abraham, a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of earth shall be blessed. The importance of Melchizedek is that he comes from nowhere, but he recognizes Abraham and, and submits to Abraham as the man who God has given a promise to. So Abraham's the man with God's real promise. And there's a couple very valuable points to this. Number one, God does have some outside things going on. So there's the storyline that the Bible gives us. And Melchizedek gives us that, that very important point that there are some outside things that God is doing outside of the storyline. Melchizedek's a good guy. He does the right thing. He's a king and a priest who submits to Abraham, who's the man of promise. He's the man chosen by God with a promise by God. And that brings us to number two, that this godly outsider, like any godly outsider, whenever they contact the 
promise of God, they do what Melchizedek does, submit to the plan of God. They don't create their own plan of God. When they come in contact with the real plan of God, they submit to that plan of God and they bless that plan of God. That's what Melchizedek does. And that brings us to Aaron and the Levites and why Jesus is not a priest after Aaron and the Levites. Because Aaron and the Levites, catch this, they really failed. We know the story. The story is Israel gets exiled Israel, you know, has to be punished by God. And so really the Levites out of Aaron's, you know, of Aaron's clan failed to bless Abraham. That's why Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, because Jesus is the continuance of that promise of God. Jesus is that, you know, continuance of the blessing that God had given to Abraham. Jesus is submitting to the plan of God and, and blessing the plan of God as given to Abraham, just like Melchizedek does. And if Melchizedek was alive today, he would, he would bow to Jesus like he bowed to Abraham. Okay, can you pick up on that? And then we return back to talking about Jesus personally. As a priest, uh, so we hear this, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Once again, what does a priest do? Well, a priest does what Jesus does. And we saw Jesus do that. People literally saw Jesus praying, supplicating, crying, having tears, re revering God in the highest possible way. That's what a priest should do. And what Jesus does, though, that no priest can do is also in this verse. And what Jesus does that no priest can do is be made perfect because he was perfect. Um, and that he is the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. You see, Jesus, on one hand, does what a priest should do. Pray, supplicate, cry, tear, revere God. But he does what no priest has ever been able to do, and that is to be perfect and to be the source of eternal salvation. No priest has ever been the source of salvation. The priest is a go-between to the source of some sort of salvation. Jesus is that source of salvation. And one of the other astounding things that comes from this verse is, is that Jesus, in becoming a man, gets no special treatment. I think that's unreal. That is a wonderful, lovely picture that only the Bible gives us, is that God on the scene in Jesus Christ, Son of God, doesn't get any special treatment. That he actually suffers in this world like we suffer in this world. And that he actually learns obedience through those sufferings which begs a couple questions. Do we appreciate the lengths that God is going to here to save us? That yes, he is as high as possible. And yes, 
He gets as low as possible too, right where we are. Do we appreciate what is being said here by God? The lengths that he desires to go to go through from being high and low to come to us. And do we do we learn obedience through our sufferings? God the Son had to endure the same kind of sufferings that we do, and he learned obedience in the middle of those sufferings. That, too, is absolutely astounding and something that we should meditate on for a good long time. Do we learn obedience from our sufferings? Do we draw even closer to God because of our sufferings? We should. Lastly, the last line is be designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But let's just combine the two, the top sentence and the bottom sentence that says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We're going to end this thing by just simply repeating that God's point of view is that you need a high priest. But what you don't need is is a high priest that's the usual old, you know, priest that needs a priest. No, we need a priest who doesn't need a priest. And that's who Jesus Christ is. He's the highest possibility of priesthood. Jesus is the highest priest possible. This is a good thing. And that God has a real priesthood, a real priesthood in mind. Those who obey the high priest, Jesus, son of God, are actually the priesthood here on earth. And as the priesthood here on earth, what's the job description that we ought to be fulfilling on earth as God's priesthood? We should act on behalf of men in relation with God. We should deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since you yourself are beset with weakness. We ought to have that humble state that we can call ourselves a bunch of jerks. But at the same time, going to men on behalf of God, dealing with them with gentleness because they're ignorant and wayward like we are, just like us. That's how we should be. And we should be taking others to the high priest the high priest who is the source of salvation, eternal salvation to all who obey him. And in that, that song that I just sang to you in the beginning is satisfied. I'm going to live forever. I am going to live forever. I'm going to cross that river because I'm in the right place. I'm following the right person in the high priest of Jesus who is Son of God, the highest possible, because he actually is God. That's his story, and I'm sticking to it. Thanks for joining me. We'll catch you next time.